this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our DMO union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And this episode, Jay, is a direct result of the DMO union. They picked this record. It was a poll, not as controversial or contentious as our previous poll, This one was just a bunch of good old records that people said, I'm voting for that one or this one. There wasn't a lot of politicking or or uh, electioneering or uh, any sort of uh, skullduggery happening. It was just a it was just a poll. And there was a result and there was no tie, which was great. Progress. Uh, It is progress. No recounts, no audits. We just moved right ahead. We accepted the result because the, the the end result was a blowout, to be honest. And I didn't see this coming at all. When you looked at these records, I went, this is going to be a mix. And I think I know who's going to win. And I was completely wrong. Did you have a thought? You don't have to say who it was, but did you, was there one where you were like, oh, that one's going to win? Um, or maybe I two? suspected the winner was going to do pretty well. But uh, I wasn't 100% sure on it. Gotcha. So these were the picks for our September poll. All submitted at digmeoutpodcast.com through the album suggestion uh, uh, field, I guess you'd call it. Uh, what, what's the technical term for that, Jay? From the form? Uh, form, a form. There we go. Thank you. Very technical. Very technical. Uh, Richard Waterman suggested Attention, Please by Caroline Spine. Darren Lehman suggested Three Seeds by the New Meanies. Eric Peterson suggested Hypocrisy is the Greatest Luxury by the Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Willie Dillon suggested Firewater by Silkworm. Kyle Bittner suggested The Last Temptation of Reed by Lard. Ian Wobble suggested Lovey by the Lemonheads. Jeff, the eponymous Jeff, the singular Jeff. Suggested I Become Small and Go by Creeper Lagoon. Josh Norek suggested Banda Macho by The Figs. And Alex Harford suggested Polythene by Feeder. And Jay, this was a blowout. I didn't see it coming. But uh, Double Digits, the only band and album that made it to Double Digits, Creeper Lagoon's I Become Small and Go. Everybody else was, was way far back in the pack, all of them. Yeah, I can't I can't say that I'm surprised at one. I didn't think it would win by that much because they all feel pretty well distributed. Like I could see there being a feeder segment or a, um, doing some more stuff on the figs or even Silkworm I've heard of. I, I thought it was going to be Silkworm because Silkworm has a very loyal like yeah. fan base. Yeah. Um, or the Lemonheads because that's sort of probably the biggest name out of all these bands. Biggest name, yeah. I remember Caroline Spine getting a moment on the radio too. So, mm-hmm. and Feeder were were a UK band that mm-hmm. was sort of in the in the back end of Britpop. I don't know that they were Britpop. Uh, we, I, as you mentioned, we've done a Figs record before. 
Yeah. A lot of people were pushing that lard record on Discord, but it only got four votes. It was yep. towards the tail end of, of the vote. So um, we got a ton of comments. And I'm just going to go through the uh, people who mentioned Creeper Lagoon, and I'm going to say hi to everybody. But Justin Weckler said, tough call. Dig the figs. But, but would definitely like to hear more about Creeper Lagoon. John Seaman said, I'm going with Creeper Lagoon because I love Take Back the Universe and Give Me Yesterday. But I wasn't that into I Become Small and Go, but maybe I was wrong about it. An episode reviewing it would motivate me to give it another chance. Well, that's that's excellent. That's what we try to do here. That's what we're here for. Give you an excuse to go listen to these records again. Exactly. Jeremy Amend. Unlike John, I really enjoy I Become Small and Go Back. I enjoyed it back in the day. However, I agree that it does not measure up to WGG or TBTU. <laughs> Uh, what's WGG? I don't even know. Uh, I have to look at the discography, which I will in a moment. Unfortunately, the latter did not release in the 1990s. Ah, there was, that's their 2000s. Um, if it's not clear, my vote is also Creeper Lagoon. Um, Frank Garcia Hell would love to hear thoughts on Feeder, but going with Creeper Lagoon on this one, underrated band. Who else mentioned, uh, Creeper Lagoon. Nate Smith, Creeper Lagoon for the win. Um, and then Jerry Mann said, I'm going to count Creeper Lagoon as a Cincy band. You should too. We'll get into that. What? Uh, Wait, what? We'll get into that. Kyle Bittner, I had never listened to Creeper Lagoon until tonight. Fell in love with it instantly. It had nice, easygoing sound. With bendy guitar work, reminded me of Built to Spill. Chris Thacker said, <laughs> saw Creeper Lagoon many times in San Francisco in the 90s and 2000s, and the recent 2017 reunion show, Ian put out another EP under the name called Oh the Speaker On the Speakers, which is similar. They were always a fun show. Creeper once played in 99 with Death Cab and Granddaddy. That would be an interesting show. Um, Darren Leach said, who the hell are Creeper Lagoon? Darren Leach, you're about to find out. You're about to get educated. <laughs> also need to thank for their comments on the, the, the albums that didn't win. Uh, Jeff Gentis. Whitney Beeler, Paul Richardson, uh, Ian McIver, Richard Waterman, Paul Richardson. I'd already mentioned him. Yes, I did. Uh, I had two comments. Sean Brown. Oh, he also went with, um, he had a long comment here. He said, this one's tough sledding. Lovey would make a good episode doing it due to it being a weird transitional Lemonheads thing. Caroline Spine is deeply underrated, as well as a worthy entry into your upcoming worst band names in the 90s roundtable, <laughs> which I guess we're doing sometime soon. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. That feeder record would be a really good one to debate, too. It actually sold some copies, so that alone might be offensive to some. Going to have to simply go with Creeper Lagoon, solid disc all around. Uh, also, thanks to Eric Peterson... Uh, Willie Dillon said, if you don't vote for Silkworm, you should give it a listen. If you like rock music, I hear a few people here like rock music. <laughs> okay. I could pick pretty much any of their albums as they were consistently good. I also like Creeper Lagoon. Uh, Gavin also had some, uh, some comments and, uh, Gary Moran. And, uh, again, Darren Leach asked who the hell are Creeper Lagoon? You're going to find out. Jay, you knew you Try. you were familiar with the the band probably from the next record, um, which was released on DreamWorks. Take back the universe to give me yesterday um, had the big sing big single wrecking ball. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember 
uh, I have this on CD and I have the first record on CD. So really what I typically, that would fit my pattern where I heard the big single, liked it, didn't buy it because it was on the radio or whatever, or I could listen to it from other people. Well, this technically is their first record. And then I went back and bought the back catalog. Gotcha. That's probably what I did. When so I was like record shopping. I saw them. I was like, Ooh, I'll get their early records. Here's the, here's the lowdown on Creeper Lagoon. Some history. Jingle, please. History of the band. The band didn't start, but Sharky Laguna is from Cincinnati or was living in Cincinnati and playing in a punk band called the Rottweilers in high school with a guy named Ian Sefcik. Not related to our friend Son Sheftek. Different spelling. <laughs> um, so Sharky Laguna moved out to San Francisco and started Creeper Lagoon as a solo project. And then a couple years later, Sefcik moves out. He actually played in Brian Jonestown Massacre for a while and then hooked up with Creeper Lagoon and uh, or Sharky to, to do Creeper Lagoon. Um, then they added a bassist and drummer. And th- there's been a, quite a few... Uh, um, former members of this band that have been in and out, but it's basically been Sharky and Ian for, for most of the time. Um, so they Sharky was doing demos with Ian, both basically cassettes. Um, they put out a number of cassettes in the mid nineties. They did a seven inch. They did an EP for a rap label called dog day records that got the attention of Nickelbag, which was a label that, um, the Dust Brothers, who produced a, a bunch of records that you would probably know, such as Paul's Boutique and Odelay and Midnight Vultures, like big time producers. And they dug this EP by Sharky and Ian and Creeper Lagoon and said, why don't you come on our little label that we have through DreamWorks, which was called, um, like I mentioned, it was called... Uh, Nickelbag and let's do an album. So they recorded this record for Nickelbag, which was re-released by DreamWorks. And that ended up getting them a, an actual deal with DreamWorks, which was where Take Back the Universe and Give Me Yesterday comes from in 2001. And this is around the time that DreamWorks was signing a lot of indie bands, like Blinker the Star got signed around that time for the August Everywhere album. And... Um, so they toured and then eventually broke up not too long after this, but they did put out uh, an EP on arena rock records in 2002. And then another album called long dry cold on their own label, which they called Neglectra. <laughs> I don't know if they have a history with Electra, although there is a <laughs> song on this album called Sylvia, perhaps about the former president of Electra records, Sylvia Roan. Uh, seems like a lot of people wrote songs about her. I believe Greg Dooley wrote a song about her, and I believe there's songs about uh, Electra by Spoon. Uh, so uh, oh, that's it? true. Wow, but the roundtable possibly. <laughs> the, all the artists that had trouble with Negle- with Electra, I must call them Electra, yeah, or just Electra Records in the nineties. Electra Records, yeah, exactly. So that's a little bit of history of Creeper Lagoon. Let's get into it, Jason. Let's uh, let's talk about this album. Tell me one thing you liked about the, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned the year, the 19, 
98 album, I Become Small and Go by Creeper Lagoon. Yeah, I I heard things in this. So I was familiar somewhat with the record. I mean, it's been a long time since I listened to any of their stuff, really. You know, I remember the sort of melodic flavor of the band. I, I kind of knew sonically what I was getting into um, as I revisited it. I was surprised um, how layered it is and, and at times the production that's going on here. It's a really interesting combination um, of contrast where you get this sequenced cut and paste kind of vibe mm-hmm. um, from these songs. Uh, there's a lot of details and things going on here that I don't think I appreciated when I was listening it back at the time that now I can hear. So like added accents, either in percussion, whistles, weird background sounds, little bells, like all kinds of like little things going on mm-hmm. that in a way also mimic um, the vibe of like how the vocal and the drums and the guitar parts kind of flow, but also have these, you know, fairly dramatic little shifts and turns and dynamics to them. So I really enjoyed this, this combination of like at times a live band energy and almost like a lo-fi spirit, but with, you know, really well, crafted production from a like editing and sequencing and layering and almost like a at times it felt like a like a studio creation that is a kind of like a re re mashup mix up of a band performance <laughs> like they had a band play and then they like cut it apart and put all the things back together and added a bunch more, more layers so it's just this really interesting contrast between um, live dynamics and and feel with a really layered, complex production at times. So I, I was really intrigued by that. I think it actually, you know, sometimes that can get, we, we've talked about some albums that are produced like this in the past, and at times it can get in the way of the songs. But I think this is one of the unique t- examples where that approach really helps the songs a ton. Like, not that I don't think you know, the material on here that's good is, is not, you know, at its core good and, and it wouldn't be compelling on just an acoustic guitar, but I definitely think there is some dynamic and emotion that is even, you know, propelled even further by this technique of, you know, the way they're layering and kind of cutting things up and moving the songs around and uh, just creating this constant momentum and movement. Um, there's just a cool flow to the record too, in terms of like how the vocal kind of has this laid back delivery. It can get emotive combined with, you know, a lot of guitar lines that are very melodic and um, kind of this alternating picking thing. They do a lot. Like um, you've got a bass part and a guitar part. There's a lot of like, you know, kind of like back this pulsing that happens with the way the guitar parts are layered and the bass is played that I really like. And then you've, on top of that, you get these accents in within the song that create, you know, more drama and more excitement for choruses through like drum fills or kind of loopy sounding guitar parts or extra drum parts or percussion parts that get layered in, you know, there's this, this, um, 
I think extra energy that the actual the, the production brings to it that I don't remember appreciating at the time. You know, I think my memory of it was more like, oh, it's a fairly typical sounding indie rock band. Um, but my impression now is I'm hearing all the craft gone into that and and really enjoyed pulling that apart. Um, so, and I think, you know, there's some, especially the first half of this record, there's some great songs um, that, that stand up really well even now. Um, so all of it, again, is about the songwriting, but there's something about the presentation here that's, that's really unique and, and uh, pretty fun to listen to. How about you? Would you like? Well, I think the thing that you nailed is the production and I, and what they do really well with it is they don't, they, it doesn't get repetitive in that, uh, John King from the dust brothers only produced three songs. Uh, the opening track, wonderful love, the third track, empty ships and the seventh track, Dear Deadly. And those have a lot of the really interesting things that are happening with production. Like Wonderful Love has that, like a whistle, like a coach's whistle happening sort of in the background, but you can hear it. Uh, There's a lot of like, like you said, like little percussion things. Each of those songs has their own unique sort of production style, but you can definitely tell they're the most layered of, of the songs. And I think if it had been a whole album of that, it would be overwhelming. You would get tired of all the trickiness and all of these things. But the fact that they mixed in those songs with some more straightforward approaches that recall, you know, I was getting little things like there was some stuff that sounded like early spoon and I, there's some people I mentioned, like, you know, comparisons to like Built to Spill. I heard a little Guided by Voices here and there, especially the the late yeah. 90s Guided by Voices when they were working with like Rico Kasich and really playing up the pop end of it. Yeah, I, I think that that's what works really well is there's really so- strong songwriting. There's really strong arranging. And you mentioned like there's a laid back vibe, but it's not so laid back where it seems disinterested. Like there are definitely really interesting things happening here and they avoid too much layering throughout the whole record. Spacing it out was like the absolute right choice because I couldn't, I don't think I could listen to 11 songs of whistles and bells (laughs) and all those things happening. Like, you know, like when I listened to, it's sort of like listening to a Beck record where I like the singles, but I can't really listen to a whole Beck record because it's so layered. It's like it yeah. comes overwhelming when it, when you're trying to like do what we're doing, which is actually review the record and yeah. and figure out what works and figure out what doesn't work. You, you sort of get fatigued by it because you're trying to analyze everything that's happening. 
Um, and I, I really dug the vibes of this record. Like Sylvia has this almost like shoegaze uh, slide something happening in it. It's this very ethereal sounding background noise that's happening. I don't know if it's a keyboard or if it's a guitar that's heavily delayed and, and vibratoed. And you know what I'm talking about with that song? Uh, it has it has just like this dreamy aspect. Yeah. From that and then like empty ships has a very indie rock very late 90s indie rock sound to it where it starts small and then they they bring it in big at the chorus um you know it's like it's like mixed that way and you can tell that they like dial down the eq a little bit at the beginning in order to in order to boost up the sound and there's a lot of playing around with genre with uh, or, or or whatever you want to call it, what you know, different styles, but keeping it cohesive from an overall perspective. But they're they're moving a little bit here and there, and then there's some cool, you know, we we've had records with with instrumental tracks or or interludes, and they don't quite work as well. But I think like uh, Prison Mix, uh, which that has that chanting, it's an it's an interesting little segue. Um, it's not like really anything on the record, but it doesn't disrupt the flow. Like because of the vibe, it's, it's situated nicely between dreaming again and, and Sylvia. And, and I appreciated that. So I think what works is they did a really nice job of making sure the production doesn't get in the way of the overall record and then sequencing it in a really nice way so that, you're getting a little bit of a different taste, you know, something wonderful love really produced, bring it down a little bit on Tracy. Then you're back up to like a more produced song with empty ships. And then, you know, it, it kind of goes, has that flow where it's not always uh, going to be in your face and aggressive with the, with the production. So, and I never listened to Creeper Lagoon be, beyond that one song. So this was a, a complete, you know, new experience for me listening to this record and listening to this band. Um, I did. Re- I, the only thing I knew was that Sharky Laguna had started a company where he rents bands to vans called Bandigo. Like oh, okay. he out, he outfits like band vans so that yep. they're ready to travel for bands, but they d- they can't afford buses. Sure. So I wish we had had that because then I wouldn't have spent all my money on a Ford conversion <laughs> van when I couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> Although we had a sweet Xbox in it. Yeah. Ride sharing was not a thing. No, it was not. Um, I did have a problem. Uh, I, think, I think the record starts out really strong. Yeah. And it carries itself 
almost to the end. I feel like when it hits drink and drive, those last three songs take a <laughs> huge dip for me. Let's Did get you, into that. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Um, those three songs are awful. <laughs> like, you know, there's some of the, the, <clears throat> some records we review, you're going to hear us say a lot, or at least me say a lot of like, you know, some materials not as strong as others. And, you know, I start to separate, you know, marginally, you know, better or worse songs. And this isn't the case. I feel like you start off spectacular you there's an interesting transition with prison mix and sylvia things come down but then dear deadly is fantastic black hole is okay and then you go through a sequence of three songs drink and drive second chance and he made us all blind that are just not good like i not listenable to me um i guess the other guy's singing i don't know what's going on there vocally but it sounds you got awesome. me. I, like, I don't. According to the production or, or, the, or the credits on on uh, Discogs, they were written. So 10 and 11 were written by Sharky Laguna. And then 12 was written by Ian Sefcheck. Now, I don't know if that means um, that that's who was singing those songs. It, it, like second chance does not sound like Sharky Laguna in comparison to the rest of the record. Yeah, I I don't know what's going. He's he's it's very low and and sluggish. Yep, his vocal on that song. But I guess it is because Ian is not credited as far as I can see as singing. So I don't know what yeah. I don't know what happened. But like those three songs just absolutely threw me for a loop. So I was like, this is a really cool record. This is like yeah. what I wanted Granddaddy to be when I was frustrated with that early Granddaddy record that we listened to. Yeah. And and then you hit the last three and you're like, oh, oh no, what happened here? This is yeah. this just <laughs> went into the ditch. And it's it's probably not a help that you know you get Sylvia, which is a dreamy, kind of slower vibe. It still works as an album track, I think black hole starts to get in that direction so you you, but then you get it then it takes a whole level another whole level down so you end up with this like the record feels like it just declines quickly <laughs> you know you're like going up this mountain and it's awesome and then you start coming down you're like okay we're coming down this is weird and all of a sudden you just plummet yeah to this whole new depth of makes you question the band entirely like I don't get this stuff. It's not compelling at all. He's drawling. He's singing in this weird, fake, deep voice. It's noisy. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then claustrophobia 
kind of sounds like one of the earlier tracks on the record, just a demo version of it. Is that the hidden track? I think that's that's Must track be. 12. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, on my version, it's a hidden track, so it's not named. Gotcha. But it, it, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a guided boy voices. Yeah. Song. I mean, the sounds production like, it sounds yeah. re- was recorded on a boombox. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't understand the two sides of this band. You know, early in the record, I'm, we're talking about like, oh, this is, you know, the super produced guided by voices era, or it's Blinker the Star, or it's Eels. Or like I mm-hmm. heard little bits of, oh, that's like an ELO kind of vibe melody. Like I'm hearing all of this really sophisticated, lush, you know, oriented pop, you know, s- song and production with this unique kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, indie rock aesthetic, you know, kind of underneath it or energy. And then you get to these songs and I'm questioning all of that. I'm like, I don't get what any of this has to do with that. And um, right. I'm confused. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the, you mentioned about Sylvia being slow and, and, but it has a, a, a direction. Yeah. Whereas second chance in comparison, which is roughly the same vibe it sounds like a, an attempt at like a Mark Eitzel American music club song yeah. that I didn't understand. It, yeah. it, it also, for the most part, after the opening song, everything is like two to three minutes. And then second chance is like five and a half minutes. No, you should not be yeah. five and a half minutes. That's, that's not good. And even the first song, um, wonderful love. I mean, a lot of that, length is just that end section right which is it's not bad it's just like uh they loop out the the end part but the meat of the song is you know still pretty concise i think if it had just jumped from if you had if you get gone through uh if you kicked out drink and drive second chance he made us all blind and and just gone straight to the uh the hidden track or what's it called claustrophobia claustrophobia and just make that the last song i would have been like this is a great record oh yeah like ended okay ended on a little guided by voices homage that's fine yeah uh but those yeah those last three tracks are just head scratch and i don't even know what the hell is going on in drink and drive again like having the whole thing caked in that vibrato yeah i mean that's that is way too experimental for this record because you've what you've given us is an indie pop record essentially yeah. up until that point and then with yeah. that you're like taking me on a whole different journey right. we're on we're on very different drugs when that song exactly comes in <laughs> i had a nice mellow chill vibe going and then you're throwing me you, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna have like a bad trip right there yeah it's very so trippy. so this came out in 98 this did get attention this was when this was released spin named this record, um, I believe, like their band to watch for the year. Okay. Which I mean, yeah, Spin was still a thing then. Yeah, yeah. It was still a big deal to for Spin to like notice your band, and for this, I, you know, Sharky Laguna went from being like basically a guy busking on the street of San Francisco to recording demos on cassettes. 
to scoring a deal with DreamWorks, which at the time was the next big record label. I mean, DreamWorks was tied yeah. to like Spielberg and like the whole oh, yeah. movie complex that they had. Um, they didn't know how to run a record label because it didn't last very long. Um, it was D- David Geffen too, right? Yeah, it was Geffen. Katzenberg and Spielberg. It was all those dudes. You you would think between those guys, they would be able to run a successful record label for a couple years, but or at least be able to develop artists. I think that was the thing. You're like, oh, these guys will be in it for artist development. They're going to sign some really interesting bands and then give them time to develop. But no, they immediately dropped people and <laughs> were gone <laughs> uh, because of the changing, um, you know, the changing uh, whatever, but landscape of music. They only, la- I mean, they that started in 96 and they were done by 2006. DreamWorks. Yeah. As a label. As a label. Yeah. It's all movie productions company. Right. But I mean, it was like they had, they signed a lot of interesting artists. Eels were on that label. George Michael, Nelly Furtado. Besides the ones that we've talked about. Hell, they got Roy Lichtenstein to do the label uh, artwork. Blinker the Star. Mm-hmm. Buck Cherry. Yep. I mean, you got Buck Cherry. You should be printing money for years. <laughs> Elliot Smith. Yep. Yep. They had Jeff, a Nashville Jeff division. Fo- Jeff Foxworthy. They had a Nashville <laughs> division with Toby Keith, Randy Travis. I mean, come on. Yeah. How are you not printing money with Toby Keith? He's putting a boot in your ass. And he's putting a dollar in the in the bank. Or putting your ass in a dollar in the bank. That's that was his that was the, the, the thing around the office. That's what they'd say. Toby Keith's here. He's putting a boot in your ass and a dollar in the bank. So anyway, I don't know why this uh this didn't work out. Maybe they got bored. They're a bunch of they, uh, you know, self. There's a lot of bands that were kind of similar to Creepy to Lagoon. It's interesting. Oh, I know. Kind of Power Man five thousand, Papa Roach, <laughs> Randy Newman. Exactly the same. Uh, I mean, imagine that tour. (laughs) That would have been an awesome uh, label tour. Randy Newman opening for Rollins Band. (laughs) (laughs) That might work in a weird way. Short people got no reason. (laughs) Here's here's a Rollins Band. (laughs) (laughs) We want more Randy Newman impressions from you. Thank you. Oh, I got them. I got him. So Jay, were the yeah. album better EP, oh, decent man. single? How are you gonna How are you gonna land on this? Are oh. you breaking the streak? I'm gonna break the streak. I feel like the material on here that works is is really 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 good, and I don't think that little section of missteps should uh, crater the whole, whole record. If you like, I, I suppose if you like musically what's going on, you can space out during those tracks and wait for the record to come back around on, on loop again, um, get back into it. So I'm, I'm going to say we're the album uh, based on the strength of, of the good stuff. Like I said, 
I agree with you. I think the first eight record or the first eight songs make a worthy album. Yeah. Um, it's a short one. I mean, it's like a 30 minute record. Yeah. But I think there's a worthy album there. And it's just a cool laid back listen. I don't think you need to crank this. If you want to put on some headphones and catch some cool production. That's cool. If you just want to put it on the speakers and like let it play, it's not going to jump out in your face and 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 distract you it's got a cool vibe that uh i think a lot of bands were going for but not a lot have managed to capture exactly and i don't know i i need to go i need to go listen to the the follow-up at some point to see if they like actually captured that vibe again because it is a hard thing to combine production with vibe yeah. which is such a sort of nebulous thing to talk about what a vibe is. But you know when you hear it. It's like porn. You know when you see it. You know when you hear it. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> it to, to bands that, are, that tried this, I think I mentioned it earlier, but they end up in two camps, I think. You end up in the distracting from the song camp. Like there's so much going on. I have a hard time following what the point of this song is. And it's exhausting. And then the other side of it is it's like too repetitive. I think a lot of most bands end up in that camp when they try this kind of like studio oriented kind of uh, rock indie rock production. And you just end up with these sections that are, you know, so loop dependent, they don't go anywhere. Um, And they found this sweet spot in the middle, which I think is what creates that mood and um, that just unique sound. So, yeah, I think they're successful at what a lot of others try, tried and didn't pull off. Also on DreamWorks, Jay, uh, Hours, Distorted Lullabies. Oh, okay. Um, Josh Clayton Felt, who was in a band we've reviewed called, do you remember the band Three Strange Days? No. Human cannonball. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? No. Schoolfish. Who's in Schoolfish? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I thought you meant uh, the they released the first Sparta days. album, uh, Wiretap Scars. Okay. Yeah. I mean, how they released Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. How did this label lose money? I, I don't know. understand. They released the soundtrack to rent. That should be printing money for the lifetime of, of humanity. Yeah. I don't. I don't get it. They released, uh, uh, you know, uh, the soundtrack to Amistad. <laughs> I don't. Get, I don't understand. Actually, a number of albums that we've reviewed: Nuclear Sounds by Ash, uh, by Ash. Uh, yeah, I don't get. I don't know. We need. There needs to be an investigation into what went wrong at DreamWorks. <laughs> I don't. Oh, yeah, there, there's another roundtable. DreamWorks and. In the nineties, what went wrong? A deep, it's gonna be a five-part podcast <laughs> special investigation. The nightmare. You don't know how, how badly I would love to be able to. The nightmare at Dream. Have the resources to do that. Would it be like our own true crime podcast. I would love to do that. <laughs> All we right, about um, five hundred more patrons, and we'll be able to. Excellent. Would you be able to do special one-offs we'll like to that? Dissect the 
collapse of record labels as if they're true crime serials. David Geffen, Steven Spielberg, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Katzen, Kat, Kat, I was going to say Katzenmoyer, like the guy who played for Ohio State. Katzenberg. Only one still is alive. I don't know if that's true. Who the killed? The company's logo is, um, if you've noticed, it's different than the other DreamWorks mm-hmm. visual uh, visuals. Designed by Roy Lichtenstein. Yeah. That is insane. I mean, they did allow the uh, Jordan Zed Rosny from Blinker to Star to uh, have an, a carved swan oh, in ice <laughs> carried out to the desert. Right. So, so uh, what's his name? Stom Thurgetson could Tom photograph Thurgetson, it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. It cost $10,000 for that carving. There you go. This is how. <laughs> That's this probably is what the sank the went. label. <laughs> Congratulations, this totally, Jordan. This is totally a mini series we could be doing. <laughs> could go back and talk to Jordan and all the bands that work with him at that time. I'm sure they all have stories like that. Oh my God. Jordan, uh, who approved the billing for the ice sculpture that melted in the desert? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, if you would like to help us uh, produce our in-depth murder podcast about DreamWorks, you can do so by becoming a patron (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at at uh, the dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. It's as little as two bucks a month to support us. You get access to the polls like this one, which uh, are submitted via our website, digmeoutpodcast.com. And then they go in the hopper, and then the hopper spits them out, and then our patrons vote on them. They also get to vote, depending on what tier they're at, on our roundtables and our 80s episode. We're going to have an 80s episode coming up shortly. And... Also, it's where you can read the box newsletter if you don't sign up for it uh, via your email, but you can also by going to digmeoutpodcast.com. The box newsletter delivered every week. A couple of new reviews of 80s and 90s relevant music, books, and movies, plus our release calendar for each week, what's happening. So much stuff is happening, Jay. I just dropped five new releases just today into our calendar for coming up for the next year. In 2022, there's already records that are like huge records. Tears for Fears, Liam Gallagher, Scorpions, Guns N' Roses. That, that, is it the EP? Soft Cell. Soft Cell, Jay. Oh my. Come on. They're back together. Who would have thought? Everybody's getting back together. Not Catherine Wheel. No. But everybody else. <laughs> That's not happening. Rob Dickinson's making way too much money selling those <coughs> fake Porsches. Some say they were the, they're they're the most Porsche Porsches. But well, yeah, because Porsches are now SUVs for moms right. in the suburbs. Right. So I, I, I applaud course. what Rob is doing because he's keeping Porsche legit as opposed to uh selling them to ladies who com- who complained to the managers. So, yeah, excuse please. me that was that was a that was a in- inappropriate comment and uh Tim will be speaking with HR about that. Uh and then lastly, if you like what you heard except for what I just said, uh Apple Podcasts is where you'll go to leave us some positive feedback. Uh for Jay, I'm Tim, we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Yeah.